We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm Mark Bivens, Vice President of Sales with Pioneer RX, and I'm here today with Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Howland, Vice President of Clinical Strategy at Pioneer RX. And today we're here with Scott Pace, an Arkansas-based pharmacist and lawyer, formerly CEO at the Arkansas Pharmacist Association, co-owner of Cavanaugh Pharmacy with his wife, Anne, and currently partner at Impact Management Group. With every guest, we usually try to kind of go, hey, what brought you to pharmacy? Right, what brought you into pharmacy? And and you are, are not just a pharmacist; you're also a lawyer. So, kind of, if you can take us a little bit through the journey of okay, it, I don't know if it was pharmacy first or, or lawyer first. Kind of give us a little bit there. Well, it was definitely pharmacist first. Uh, you know, my pharmacy journey started um, literally my first day of college. Um, I, like a lot of people that are going into healthcare, I, I thought that I wanted to be a physician, and and then I was. Then I got to start in community pharmacy. I was a delivery driver for a little independent pharmacy in my hometown. Uh, and I'd go to college in the mornings, come back and work for them and deliver for three or four hours in the afternoon. And I kind of fell in love with the, the flow, the relationship that the pharmacist had with the patients, the trust that they had in the community. And everything that we all still love today about independent pharmacy is what made me feel fall in love with uh, the concept of being a pharmacist. And uh, it just stuck. And so I changed my major from uh, pre-med to pre-pharmacy and uh, the rest is the rest is history. And I, as a fun aside, um, my I think third week on the job, I was uh, delivering out to a nursing home in, in a 1984 Ford Ranger that had automatic nothing. I mean, no power brakes, no <laughs> right. power steering. You're cranking the I mean, window I mean, and, and all it was of it. A, it was a little four on the floor and um, I got out of that stupid truck that afternoon, three weeks into a job, knocked it out of gear. The parking brake didn't work, and I didn't realize this. I mean, oh. I've driven this truck for all three weeks. Oh. Uh, and uh, I am get my, my box of, of drugs to take into the nursing home. And as I close the door, I'm walking away into the nursing home, and I hear a car behind me. So I turn around to get out of the way, and it's the truck I just got out <laughs> of rolling into the ravine oh. behind the nursing home. my God. So... Uh, and and the pharmacist didn't fire me. Bob Hodge, uh, who's actually a pioneer store in Paragould, Arkansas, you, is uh, uh, is, uh, uh, is is the one I have to thank for not uh, not getting rid of me uh, after week three. <laughs> Man, what was that conversation like with Bob? <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't know, you know, that, know about I don't know that, that car. I can say those words on the podcast. <laughs> right. I don't know if that's <laughs> we're we're mostly fine. We're PG thirteen most <laughs> most of the time. We're PG, but yeah, yeah. We do you you get one f bomb and then we got to move to right, right, TBMA. Right. Yeah, um, well, uh, that's a tough call to make. That's a yeah. tough, that's a tough. Call yeah, to I had make. to call and just say, uh, "Hey, Bob, uh, your truck is in the ditch behind the nursing home. <laughs> can you help me?" And it was at the end of the day too, so it's like after a busy day, it's already been bad enough, and now he has to come and get his truck in a chain and attach it to the axle. And and of course, that terrible truck had zero damage to it. Uh, and I <laughs> and I drove it for another year and a half until he decided to finally uh, invest in a new vehicle. Well, that's Bob's like, well, good news, Scott. <laughs> you get yeah, to keep the like, truck. <laughs> you, you, can, you can keep both your job and the truck. And the truck. So, so let's keep this thing going. <laughs> sounds like a solid win. 
Oh, no doubt. Um, okay. So you have that experience, you go through pharmacy school. Um, what led you into kind of going, you know what, I think me and Ann or just you, I'm, I'm not sure what the journey was, but let's, let's try owning a, a pharmacy and getting into like kind of the entrepreneurial part of it. Yeah. Well, I've always been entrepreneurial. Uh, I've had that bend all my life. Um, but really pharmacy school helped to enhance that. I worked for a great independent pharmacy and, uh, and, uh, shared in Arkansas while I was in pharmacy school called McCoy Tiger at Health Mart, uh, Sparky Hedden and Phil Tiger mm-hmm. owned that by the way, a new relatively new pioneer store they are. Uh, down, down there. Good, good folks, very high volume store. Uh, another just really you know, uh, impactful group of people that helped helped me to understand the value of pharmacy to a community and the level of trust and care and uh, importance that they bring to that world. And and so continued to fall in love with that. Uh, and then after pharmacy school, I decided I wanted to I have a huge political bend too. And I love politics and policy and regulatory uh, type of activities. I was real involved in those student organizations in school that a lot of people just put on their resume that I was really kind of in, involved heavily with. And so after I got out of school, I went to Washington and did a residency within CPA uh, in association management. Okay. And so that's that's kind of how I started my journey towards the law, towards association management. It's where I met Anne. She was actually a student uh, working uh, one or on a rotation uh, one summer uh, up in Washington. We met, uh, helped her get a job at NCPA as their student affairs director for for a period of time. And then we, you know, we hit it off and she basically said to me, we need to start dating. And, uh, <laughs> uh I said, yes, ma'am. So let, <laughs> let, let, let's do it. Smart. So uh, we dated long Smart distance. Uh, I moved back to Arkansas and she, she came, we got married, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Cool. Uh, and so that, yeah. And that led us ultimately into the independent pharmacy ownership while I was working at the Arkansas pharmacist association as their chief operating officer and then chief executive officer, she was a faculty member at the College of Pharmacy at the University of Arkansas. And a, a friend of ours said, hey, I got an opportunity for us to buy a store. Do you want to do it? And we thought at first that I might quit my job and run the store. And uh, turned out that she she was ready to quit hers and uh, run the store. So I, I joke that she's the only person in the history of academia that got promoted one week and quit the next, oh, uh, which, which, is, which is true. Which yeah. is true. You know, interestingly, um, Randy McDonough in – um, Iowa has a very similar story. I was at, um, I think PQA, PQA last year think, yeah. and he was, he was a professor and he just got tenured and I guess somebody told him he couldn't tell them how to run a pharmacy because he'd never run one. And so he kind of challenged, accepted it, quit his job and bought a pharmacy. And now they're just, you know, Randy's kind of a legend in the, the industry. Randy, Randy's good people. Uh, ironically, my wife is from Iowa, so uh, oh. uh, I, I like that story even more. Yeah, she she actually taught too. Um, you guys are so, I guess, political savvy. It's probably a bad way of putting it, but she actually, I think, taught a like an elective class there. Around. Yeah, she de- she she developed the political advocacy yeah. class while she was on faculty at UAMS uh, with with her teaching partner Swanda Flowers. Um, I don't know if you if you know. Swanda or not, Swanda uh, and her husband, Seth Heldenbrand, have been really uh, integral in, in developing a program called POLA at the University of Arkansas, which is a, basically an ownership and leadership academy okay. that uh, that they've developed, that the NCPA Foundation has helped to fund to try to develop the next generation of pharmacy owners. So, you know, that, that entrepreneurial spirit isn't just, you know, alive with me. I think it's really alive in the state of Arkansas and uh, in, in a really strong way. And that's been really fun to help to, to tap into over the years. 
Did they? Did they have Josh? You're you're the most recent grad. Did they, did you have a political advocacy class or elective? Uh-huh. In, in? So it, it's I interesting. feel like that's not something they do a lot. So I, I went or to the did. University of Texas at Austin, and you know, they they really thrive and live off of clinical, clinical residency grad. health systems. See, I thought they fed off their ego, not and, actually their curriculum. Well, also true, yeah. Scott. <laughs> I think you're right. It's weird, huh? Me and you both. Right. It, it's true. <laughs> I, I was going to make a dig at Arkansas earlier, and then I was like, you know, I'm going to... It's already, Love like, deteriorated. And- <laughs> it's, good. it's okay. We had Barry Klein on a while back, and Ohio he's a Buckeye, yeah. and yeah. I, I did yeah. not call him and insult him after the Buckeyes <laughs> got destroyed in the national championship. No, no you didn't, but, but sorry, Barry. <laughs> Barry, we love you. Also true. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my school was very... I mean, and it's in an urban you know, it's in Austin, so it's urban. It's just not really geared toward a lot of community practice. Um, and that's one of the things I found, like, I didn't know much about Arkansas. And then I started working with Flip the Pharmacy. And, um, you know, a lot of the Flip the Pharmacy engagement's really heavy in Arkansas. Um, you know, Megan at the at UAMS is running that cohort, and she's really super involved. And she's probably great. more involved than any other cohort that I deal with. Yeah, Megan's terrific. I th- look, I think one of the things that set sets Arkansas apart from other states from that entrepreneurial spirit is just the strength of two things. Number one, the number of independents that we have in our state. We're yeah. still like one of uh, four or five states that have more independents than chains, which right. I think is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number two, we just got a really strong state pharmacy association. And I'm I'm pretty biased having spent 12 years at that association and, and ultimately running it and leading legislative e- efforts for, for a number of years. But, you know, with, with when you have strong relationships politically, when you've got a strong organization that kind of sets the tone and pushes the profession forward, it really matters to the people that are being brought up in the educational process. They see it, they expect it, they want to emulate it. And it's, uh, to me, it's a cultural thing, not just a check the box thing with, with uh, the, the pharmacy community in Arkansas. And you can't overstate how important that is. Right. I think that's historically been a big gap in Texas. You know, we have this whole like cavalier attitude. There's like eight pharmacy associations in Texas. I know. Yeah, and it's fairly they fragmented. all kind of like, they're they're working to not yeah, be it's so certainly much, it's, but yes. it's coalescing, but you know you yeah. Saw, I mean, there's some, there's some great people in in Texas. Mm-hmm. Michael Wright uh, is doing a good job down there. Uh, I know Deb Garza is trying hard uh, down there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know they're it's they're they're good, well intentioned people that uh, are trying to work in a really big state. I, I mean, I think that's one of the luxuries we had in Arkansas is that that's we didn't true. have to work in a gigantic yeah. state that right. that uh, uh, crossed multiple hundreds of miles to get from one end to the other. Yeah. With a lot of different HQs of PBMs in the backyard either, which <laughs> yeah. is, is a little bit of what they're dealing with too. Also a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, so, okay. I hear, I hear all of that and it sounds like, you know, we're going to talk about act 900 a little bit, which is a big part of what you, you spearheaded in, in what led to also Rutledge versus PCMA, which yeah. we all can, um, have a toast to that, but what, I guess, what was the catalyst for lack of a better word that went, I think we're ready to do this from a legislative perspective or, or whatever to even pass or think of the idea of act 900. Well, you have to realize that act 900 was not the kind of the, the, the germ of the idea. It actually started two years earlier and during the 2013 legislative session in Arkansas when okay. the first maximum allowable cost bill 
passed in the state. Right. Um, and it, it didn't have a really heavy enforcement mechanism. It was clunky. It was kind of hard to administer. And even though we could file appeals, there really wasn't any stick to okay. force the forced PBMs to do it. So uh, Mark Riley, who was the CEO of the Pharmacist Association at the time, a guy I worked with for a number of years, great mentor and friend, uh, owns East End Pharmacy, also a pioneer store. Yes. I'm just going to make, I'm going to make this a, <laughs> just a pioneer good, plug. Man. Is that, a, keep is getting that them. okay? Keep, keep um, hanging. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. But, it, but anyway, so, uh, you know, Mark uh, uh, helped to, to spearhead both the 13 and the 15 legislation. But after the 13 legislation, we we sat down and tried to figure out, okay, this is this is great, except it's not working. So what can we do to make it work better? Uh, and so we sat down, we talked with attorneys in the, in the AG's office. We talked with, with other folks in the pharmacy industry. We talked with our general counsel at the time and, and sat down and, and I actually found the original draft of this that, that I worked on um, from February of 2015, uh, right before the Supreme Court stuff happened, just going back looking through my files. And we just put some enforcement mechanisms in place. We put some really objective criteria that the PBMs had to follow. Um, and we thought, look, this will fix it if uh, we can get this passed. And uh, Mark uh, and, and Deborah Wolf, who was our head lobbyist at the time, right. or she still is at the Pharmacist Association, uh, myself, uh, we had a great team of folks that helped to, to pass that, that bill in 2015, not to mention the grassroots efforts of the pharmacists oh from around gosh, the state. Right. Um, and, uh, and that was a really hotly contested bill. Yes, it was. Um, the, the PBMs at the end, after it passed, flew in folks from all over the country to try to encourage the governor to veto the bill, right. uh, which, which governor Hutchins didn't do. Uh, and so it, it, it became the law and all of a sudden, three months later, four months later, uh, here come the lawsuits. Uh, right. And, you know, big thanks to Attorney General Rutledge. Uh, she was happy to take on defending a, a duly passed statute in the state of Arkansas and uh, took on a really a five-year five-year journey yeah. to defend that law uh, and, and took some extraordinary steps to get it to where uh, we know it finally got to last month. It was so much just grit and and and. I don't know, perseverance, I guess, but just grit to stay with it and, and, and keep fighting. Cause you're right. And I remember having that, that chamber, I'll call it full of pharmacists. I remember, I think so many people remember that Facebook live or wherever you saw. Yeah, that, that. was, that was in 2018. That was, yeah. that had to do with a different bill. But I, but I do think that goes to show you the, the political engagement, the, the fired up nature of pharmacists in Arkansas, the, yeah. the, the injustices that we all deal with in the, in the PBM world. I mean, it, it, it has hit a boiling point multiple times in our state. And we've been very fortunate that, um, that the pharmacists rise up to be yeah. um, part of the solution. That, that to me is cool. Yeah. No, I was just going to kind of, you know, when you, when you see the end of the journey, you don't really think about what it was at the beginning, you know, where you guys sitting around the table going, all right, these things are going to be what we want. And we know it's going to be the equivalent of walking in and just kicking a hornet's nest. Yeah. You had to kind of know a little bit, right? Every, every time you deal with legislation that affects the PBMs, you just know you're kicking a hornet's nest. I so, you. I mean, that that's just an expected, whether you're asking for something this little or something this big, it's a hornet's nest to them because, you know, in an unregulated world where they have their uh, as much cake as they want, um, they don't want to share a sliver of it. And so, uh, you know, they 
uh, they, they, they they don't like anything. And they're not and even so, providing care. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't they don't care. Did you just take? Did you just use the the, the one f bomb we can use this this? Uh, this <laughs> no, podcast? no, no. I said they're not not even providing care. <laughs> oh, I oh, sorry, sorry. I Scott was so bummed. Don't. He was like, I was reserving no, I, that. No, I was no that's still yours. That <laughs> no, it's that's still just, yours. It's still that yours. That disappoints me. Yeah. Um, no, no. I mean, yeah, it, you're always kicking the hornet's nest. And so that gives you a little freedom, to be honest with you, to ask for what you think is right and what you think is fair. And, I, you know, that's one of the, th- the problems with pharmacy, but also the good things about pharmacy is we often start with what's fair, not start with yeah, <laughs> start with something that's excessive. Uh, and so sometimes we end up with a little smaller slices of what we what we should get because we didn't start on an extreme. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, we put in in uh, in, in, in on pen to paper or, or keyboard, I should say, uh, what we wanted out of that Act 900 bill. Uh, we d- clearly delineated what uh, what a wholesaler was and who qualified for the purposes right. of what what the pricing was. We quick we 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 identified what were things that were fair that we wanted. For example, we didn't think it was fair that PBMs could pay pharmacies that they owned more than other network providers oh, yeah, and, and, yeah. and use their leverage to disadvantage the pharmacies that are in their network. So we put that in there and made that illegal. Uh, you know, we put in there that pharmacies could refuse to fill prescriptions if they were paid at the point of adjudication below their cost. Things that are common sense that put the onus on the PBM to do it right the first time because right. nobody wants to file Mac appeals, right? Oh. Uh, but guess who has control time. over that? Uh, you know, the, the price is set by the PBM. So if they don't want appeals, fine, just pay fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you said it because we're using Act 900 like everybody knows about it. I'm glad you kind of went over that. But uh, what the way I read it, yeah, I did more legal reading in the past two days than I ever <laughs> in, my, in my life. But the way I read I'm it is... I'm assuming you read a John Grisham book. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hear the Rainmaker's good. Right, yeah, here it is too. Um, but it firm, just firm really set. felt like... You're right and fair because it seemed like the way it was written is you're asking for fundamental protections not to be paid at an unfair rate um, and a process that provides transparency, like kind of of it. At the the end of the day, one of our great lobbying points on that bill is that the bill doesn't matter if the PBMs just pay fair. They have nothing to worry about if they are, you know playing playing fairly and the minute that they're not they've got something to worry about so um what we have since found is that provisions in that bill particularly that that paying themselves more than they pay other network providers i mean we have found mounds of evidence uh with that over the years we did a press conference in 2018 where we uncovered a whole bunch of that stuff that you know those are frankly uh, violations that can be sanctioned at up to ten thousand dollars per incident by the by the attorney general's office and and uh you know we're hopeful that those investigations will continue yeah all right so what do you think about the those kind of games where we won't name them but we all know who they are they they pay their their pharmacies less now too and show a huge loss on the the retail side but they also own the pbm and now the loss that the retail incurs is the same as the independent but the pbm is now rolling in cash. Yeah, I mean, again, everything with the PBMs over the years have has been this giant balloon, uh, and when you squeeze it on one side, it pops out yeah, somewhere else. That's a great so, way to put it. You know, we we have been as an industry uh, constantly chasing the the newly uh, popped out portion of the balloon, and uh, I don't know what to, I don't know how to solve that, Josh. I mean, I think it's we've all, we've got to be thinking not just about what we're fighting today, but what we might be fighting down the road. And I do think some some foresight is 
something as an industry we don't do very well. We're always concerned about mm. the problems of today, not necessarily the problems of tomorrow. And I, and I think we've got to be more ambitious about um, thinking ahead. Right. It's a, a good soundbite. Yeah. And I, I think like I'm, I'm going to say something here and, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I don't have a problem with a health insurance owning a PBM. I have a huge problem with a PBM owning a pharmacy. So if I could like take my magic wand, just make it illegal for a PBM to own a pharmacy. The incentives are too perverse to do it the wrong way. Yeah. You know, the way I think about it, I always uh, have thought for years about PBMs as credit cards. Um, because at, at their core, they do the same thing. They process electronic claims associated with dollars. And from a, from a fundamental fairness perspective, can you imagine if Visa got the data from every claims transaction at Dillard's so they could r- refer you down the street to yeah. um, the, the, the Visa department store? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that it's, it's oh, just such a great right. way to put it. I haven't heard that yet. It's way better than my idea. But it's what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly what it is. What it right? is. I have a question for you because I was really thinking last night um, at a different angle at some of this. And I was really kind of like, I was I'm not going to say I was or not, but we might have done some cartwheels when we saw the Supreme Court ruling. We might have. We might have done some tumbling down the hallway. What was your reaction? Where were you at when, when you found out? I'm sure your phone was blowing up. I just, I, that was. Uh, an interesting tidbit I thought of last night. I was like, I wonder what he, yeah. he, he, what he was well, doing. Well, it's, it's a great question and a good story. Let me, let me first of all, by saying this, after I left the pharmacist association to go do my current deal, which mm-hmm. is, which is, I, I, I'm a partner in a, a government relations company called impact management group. I do uh, a contract lobby work for a lot of, a lot of groups, a lot of industries. We're still on the pharmacy and, and love doing that. And I hope we'll talk about the COVID stuff here yep. in a little bit. But after I left, uh, the guy that I hired as my number two, John Vinson, uh, took over yeah. and has just done a fantastic job. And and John and his team really, you know, carried the torch to continue the PR and continue the outreach to to get that case to the uh, uh, to the Supreme Court and and all of all the good stuff that followed with that. So I just want to make sure I give them a shout out for oh, all the good work yeah, that, 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 that they've done. So what did I do that day? I don't remember where I was on December 10th, 2020. No, of course I do, right? That's a sentinel <laughs> date yeah. uh, now for the rest of my life. I had planned on taking that day off. Um, okay. And I had planned on taking that day off because uh, me and a good friend of mine had been invited to play a golf course that I had never played before. It was a 72-degree day in December <sighs> in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it was beautiful. It was sunny. And I was just looking forward to the night before, um, uh, you know, sleeping in a little bit, getting up uh, and uh, putting my golf clothes on and going, going and hitting the links. And uh, that night, um, I got a call from John Vinson uh, saying, hey, you know, uh, there's going to be the first decisions of the, of the term issued tomorrow. We don't know if it's going to be ours. It might be ours. Probably not going to be ours. Just wanted you to be on kind of, kind of notice. And, uh, and so I'm like, great. That's terrific. Uh, and so then I talked to Rob Smith, uh, who's an attorney at Catton, which is a, a firm that, that we used at the Pharmacist Association. And uh, you, you may have met Rob. I don't know. But he and he and his, his partner, Howard uh, from Catton, just did a, a Howard Rubin, uh, Rob Smith and Howard Rubin did just a wonderful job helping us with amicus briefs and and advising us through that five year process. And Rob's like, hey, did you hear there's going to be the first decisions of the term are coming down tomorrow? I'm not sure if it's going to be ours. So we kind of went through that same thing. And Rob's like. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be ours, but it might be. So I got up in the morning, took a shower, got my golf clothes on, was, was getting ready to go to the golf course uh, and get a phone call. Uh, and I'm like, 
hello? And they're like, it's uh, the decision's back. It's 8-0. And I'm like, ah, damn, we lost 8-0. <laughs> and they're like, no, we won 8-0. And I'm like, holy crap, I need to get need to get a copy oh. of the opinion so I can start reading it. So uh, the opinion came in quick. The text started. The phone call started. Right. Um, I, you know, texted uh, Senator Ron Caldwell, who's a, a dear friend and was a, the, the Senate sponsor, and Representative Michelle Gray, who's a dear friend and the House sponsor, uh, and other other legislative folks that helped to champion along the way, Senator Jason Raper, uh, just just litany of people, uh, and it just became this digital virtual celebration, right. kind of doing those little happy dances, uh, kind of like dancing like Elaine on Seinfeld, terribly, but you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. but For but sure. just, just just happy dances, and then all of a sudden it, it was like. Oh crap! I got to get to the golf course because my tea time's coming oh, up, and okay. so so I go and pick up my buddy. I'm like euphoric uh, over the Supreme Court oh, stuff. Oh, you have to be. Uh, yeah. One of our congressmen's office called me and said, "Hey, we need some help drafting a statement." So I worked with them while I was trying to get to the golf course, and I'm like, "Hey, I've got to go because I'm getting getting close to the golf course." <laughs> right. But here's the last little bit of the statement thing that I, that I think would be helpful. Uh, and then I played golf, uh, and and That's... my wife was with me for the round of golf just to oh. kind of to, to chill that day, and my right. buddy was with me, and and we played golf, and we drank beer, and we yeah. had a glorious, glorious December tenth, twenty twenty. Oh wow. That's that's pretty solid. And the cool part about that is you're kind of this part of this cohort now that like you're gonna get a drink at a, every bar where there's a bunch of independent pharmacists <laughs> yeah, for the you rest are. of your I life. That's I don't true. know about that. You should you should that. just put like I did act nine hundred. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, well, look, if anybody's listening, Kettle One is perfectly fine. Kettle One is perfectly <laughs> And and also shout out to Ron Fitzwater in Missouri because he's he's also a Kettle One aficionado. <laughs> Noted. Noted. Um so Mark and I were talking last night and like one of the things that we thought was most unintentionally funny part of the PCMA decision was oh yeah the PCMA's response curt response yeah yeah um, what did you read into that I mean their response is their typical <laughs> response which yeah. is obfuscate from any responsibility right. that they have and blame other people mm-hmm. I mean their their playbook is their playbook which is don't look at us look at them yeah. they have they are you know in Texas now where where, where you guys are probably filming this. They are putting up billboards blaming independent pharmacies for the high cost of drugs, yep. which is ludicrous because guess what? Who sets the price of drugs? PBMs. Right. So, I mean, it's no more simpler than, than that. Um, they're trying to throw PSAOs under the bus mm-hmm. right now. You know why? Because there's something somebody doesn't know much about. So yep. look at them. Yeah, look this is us. an obscure group. Yeah. yeah. Like, Here's an acronym yeah. that we don't even really know what it does. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, their whole model is to, it's kind of like being a six-year-old who gets in trouble. Awesome. What does a six-year-old do yeah. when they get in trouble? They blame everybody but the person who caused the problem. Right. And all we need to do is... Is look at PBMs as six-year-olds who won't accept responsibility. Yeah, no doubt. And and the I guess I guess that maybe a silver lining in the in, in some of that. That you look at that billboard and you're like, you're a group that represents like I'm thinking five or six of the Fortune 15 companies. Like it, it doesn't make any sense what they're right. doing. Right. I saw it, and I can't remember who was circulating it, but one of the big PBMs was putting out a, a deal, you know, railing against independent pharmacies, saying that everybody knows that independent pharmacies have great profit margins and they make a ton of money. And I was like, where are those guys at? And yeah. Like, I mean, look, I think 
the the way that they've structured effective rate contracts over the last oh, number yeah. of years, I mean, they've effectively uh, ensured that some pharmacies are successful and they've effectively put some pharmacies out of business. And they know that. And I think they've been strategic about that uh, because effective rate contracts um, on their face are, 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 are seemingly reasonable until you realize that not every pharmacy has the same payer mix. Not right. every pharmacy has the same product mix. Not every pharmacy has the same prescriber base. And when you start figuring all of those uh, uh, variables out, it creates distinct winners and it creates distinct losers. And it's not an equitable payment system. And at the end of the day, they don't care. It, it doesn't matter how big your big uh, a parent company is. What really matters is the amount of leverage that we've allowed the Optums and CVS Care Marks and Express Scripts slash Cigna now, whatever we want to call them, um, they've got the lives. And because they've got the lives, um, they have controlled the entire um, sector. And, and unless we, from a policy perspective, get a handle on that, sure. uh, this is going to be a, you know, a, a still a challenging road ahead. We just have some new paths ahead of us because of, of, of Rutledge VPCMA. On that topic, um, the opinion comes out you know, it's a lot of it's based on travelers. Travelers was another um, kind of in this same boat, but around healthcare services, I think, right? Kind of like, yeah, you can't determine what services you have to offer, but you can determine how the payment methodology underneath them works, right? Yeah, you can't, you can't uh, interfere with core matters of plan administration, but you certainly can uh, um, affect rate, uh, which is essentially what travelers was uh, years and years ago in the right. state of New York. And uh, it's amazing to me that the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals can't read a U.S. Supreme Court case uh, and understand uh, what precedent is. Uh, but you know what? They didn't. And the U.S. Supreme Court did the right thing and granted certiorari and, and used travelers as the fundamental basis to overturn a bad decision in the Eighth Circuit. I'm going to jump in real quick and be super impressed with your you did do some legal reading. Dude, I'm telling you, man. I, mean, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. I was I, waiting. I was, I was waiting. For, I was all over that. Like, that. So, so, I was. Tell, I was just like, well, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> it's like it's like that part. I can't remember what movie, but Will Ferrell like blacks out yeah, and starts in saying old that. school in the debate <laughs> right. with James Carville. Right, yeah, right. you just blacked <laughs> out and you're like, well, in USC one three point oh four two. Right. <laughs> I just came back. All right, I'm back. But uh, what did that, I say? I like, I like also, the old school reference. By the way, that's it's such a good movie. It kind of narrows, doesn't it? effectively narrow the reach of ERISA, not to get too legal and bore people, but like not, not, not that being legal is boring, <laughs> Scott. But, I, I don't think it's boring at all. But, but uh, does it, does it kind of narrow the, the scope of what ERISA, I guess it effectively is and affects? Without a doubt. I mean, look, I think you have to go back for a second and think about ERISA. You know, ERISA stands for the Employee Retirement Income Securities Act. It was yeah, passed man. in 1974. I'm going to get some more, uh, some legal nerd stuff in here. It's good. You, You're Josh. good. No, it, I, I like it. And so it, what it was initially designed to do was to help protect um, the, the alienability uh, of, of your retirement plan, these pension plans that people had spent their careers mm-hmm. uh, working at a, at a railroad or at a factory and to protect those from, from essentially um, being treated differently in different states because of different rules of right. Michigan versus Pennsylvania or whatever. So it created some uniform national standards as it pertained to um, essentially pension benefits. But benefits have evolved over the years where now people go to work not just for a pension but for health insurance and for long-term disability insurance and all, all this other mess. And so through the years, um, court decisions have essentially helped to lump in 
all other benefits, not just the retirement benefits. Because it, remember, it's the employee income re, or employee retirement income. It's not the employee health care right. in income. <laughs> right. Healthcare Security Company Protection Act. Act. Healthcare has just been, <laughs> right. been thrown in there over the years. And so, um, you know, uh, which has been unfortunate. Because in 1974, nobody even thought of what a PBM was. I mean, right. the first one existed in the 60s, but we didn't have any broad scale PBM usage into the 80s. So, from a pure statutory interpretation perspective, it's absurd to think that PBMs were intended by right. congressional intent to be caught by ERISA because they just weren't a factor then. Mm-hmm. You know, just it was just absurd to even think that. So what we've been fighting against over the years is people not understanding what PBMs are, folks not yeah. really interpreting statutes like they need to interpret statutes and having to almost fight backwards instead of fight forward. And I think uh, that the Rutledge case is a is a is a big step in the right direction to tell the states Hey, you know what? You do have the ability to set um, pricing structure for for plans because pricing is not a central plat- matter of plan administration. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, and uh, but ERISA is complicated, and uh, uh, you know it's going to take Congress to make bigger scale changes. And who knows if they have the 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 guts to do that uh, over the next. Uh, Two to ten years, who knows? But uh, but we got a big win this 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 last month, and I'm excited about that. Could it lead into? And this could be like to me, Scott and the Arkansas team kicking the door open to this a little bit. Could it also lend itself to states wanting to regulate surprise billing on the health, like on the health plan side, where you go out of network and you get hit with this god awful large ten thousand dollar bill as a patient? Does it kind of open the door to even kind of start from a regulatory body perspective for states to start protecting patients against that? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, this is a completely different topic, but states are already stepping into the surprise medical billing world. California has stepped into that world. Texas has stepped into that world. New York has stepped into that world. Uh, And Congress actually stepped into the surprise medical billing world in this last um, coronavirus uh, relief package um, to uh, to help protect patients from those large out of network uh, bills uh, when when they see a provider who's not covered uh, and they've established a new kind of arbitration style method of the payers and the providers to to come together when they have disputes over rates. So that's actually a part of of what just happened in the new coronavirus r- right. relief package that's in right. Congress. So. Um, Again, topic for another day. Yeah. I can't quote you the the section of, of federal code, Josh, that, <laughs> that comes from. But uh, but uh, the, yes, I think states are going to take a much more active role in, in in regulating healthcare uh, because they are the laboratories of innovation, and they are going to continue to innovate. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's weird, you know, like we we deal with a lot of different state regulatory issues on the the pharmacy management side, and the hope is that states make good and similar decisions. Um, and, and then you kind of run into, there's 50 different ways to do Medicaid and other things like that. So you start kind of running into a, it's a, I think it'll help for a while and then it'll get super convoluted. And unless there's some kind of national or CMS response, it's just going to be untenable, which is interesting. I'm, I'm okay with the PBM world being untenable. <laughs> I think we well, are. I mean, I would ask, will it be? 
yeah. because I mean, there are 50 different ways to practice pharmacy right now. And I don't think any of us would tell you that we want a uniform national pharmacy standard. I want Texas to be able to decide how Texas pharmacists can practice and what the top of the license looks like there. And I want Colorado and Arkansas and Michigan to be able to do the same thing as it comes to physicians or nurses. And, and, and we have differences in those professions. So why is it not okay to have differences and yeah. in, uh, in healthcare too, in health insurance too. I mean, I just think it's it's silly to to treat essentially like items differently. Right. All right. So we've spent majority of our time on on all of that. <laughs> we on could, the law. We could. We could. We really could. I could probably do another thirty minutes because I got questions about like uh, what your thoughts are on the NCPA DRI uh, DIR lawsuit and. Um, but let's let's kind of go back into the pharmacy and, and what yeah. you guys are doing at Kavanaugh. And, and later, Mark will request free legal advice about some other <laughs> pending stuff. Right. I have a few <laughs> pending issues, Scott. I will talk about but. zero legal advice, all opinion, <laughs> right. all opinion. Thank you for listening to the Catalyst Podcast. This has been part one of our episode with Scott Pace. Tune in next week as the guys discuss COVID nineteen testing and vaccinations. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerRx on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.